0: I just wanted to start out by saying, first of all, as we are on the air, um, thank you so much, Devin Skillion, for joining me. Uh, it's such a pleasure. You've had such an illustrious career, and it's uh, such a great thing to have you aboard and for me to be able to ask you questions about so many of your
1: dimensions
0: of your talent.
1: Uh, so I'm, this is pretty cool. Well, you and I have had a mutual admiration society going for some time, Dan. So it's yeah, we, no, you. we have. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I wanted to start out by actually saying... So that everybody knows, of course, they should know. Well, maybe they don't know totally, but that you began your career in Detroit in 95. And uh, prior to that, you had, as for news information, as a, as a, as an anchor or a reporter, you had been to uh, places like uh, Illinois and Texas, and you started out in Kansas.
1: You, you're originally from Kansas. Kind of. You know, I, um, I grew up in a military family, and it's always a really tricky thing to ask an Army brat where they're from. Because, uh, you know, by the time I was 18, we'd lived about a dozen places, uh, made about a dozen moves. Uh, but I was born in Kansas, uh, ended up back in Kansas for high school, went to the University of Kansas, married a Kansas girl. And uh, so, yeah, I, 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 at the heart of it, I guess I'd have to say I'm a Kansas. Yeah.
0: That's great. That's great. And then in 95, you came to Detroit. And you had replaced Mort Krim, as I understand it, and who what had been I thinking? here, yeah, who had been here many years
1: uh, prior to you. Yeah. And by the way, did you know that Mort played the piano? Absolutely. Mort started as a as a musician. I believe he was he had a nickname back before he got into television that was something like Arkansas Slim or something like that. <laughs> I, I, I want to say, but yes, Mort. Uh, yeah, Mort. Mort could. Mort was really good on the piano and. Uh, uh, of course obviously can write uh so yeah we we we, we loved talking music uh, back in the day and still how
0: be- cool is that and you know it's an it's also ironic that so many guys who have been in your kind of a business have maybe some kind of a musical background even like uh, lester holt uh, play is a jazz bass player i mean right. so i guess this goes on and on but what brought you over to detroit i guess is the question
1: Well, um, you know, uh, we had been in Oklahoma City uh, for six years before coming, and um, we just decided I wanted to go try, and, and I wanted to see if I could tackle Big Market TV, and signed a contract to come to Detroit, and then a month later, the Oklahoma City bombing happened. Oh, wow. so I was already, I was already earmarked for coming to Detroit. And then this life changing event kind of happened right in my own backyard. And in a way, I mean that literally, I mean, my, um, our house, we lived about 12 miles from downtown Oklahoma city, but mm. our house shook that morning. No kidding. The blast went off. So uh, it, it was the worst day of my life in a lot of ways. Um but it was in other ways it, it again it connected me to Oklahoma and the people there forever. I still uh, this many years, 26 years later, I still get messages and emails from people who I don't even know, but they were just thinking of, especially, you know, we just passed the anniversary of oh, okay. sure, uh, and, and, and Oklahoma City, to be honest with you, Dan, got really difficult. It got very tough for me to leave. Um, I felt a little bit of guilt because I ended up, uh, I was supposed to start at the beginning of August. And so I left about three months after the bombing happened. And um, it was tough. I, I wasn't sure if I was doing the right thing then by leaving at all. Um, Uh, But uh, and and actually, to be honest with you, Corey and I, uh, I don't think we thought we would be in Detroit all that long. Because I had been flirting with, you know, talking with the networks and other big other big jobs. And we just kind of thought we would probably be here for three to five years and then go somewhere else. And. John Lennon once said uh, that life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. And <laughs>
0: how true is time, that?
1: <laughs> by the time, uh, you know, things came around, you know, we had, we, we had two more kids while we had twins uh, after we got here. And uh, so a family of six. And I, we, we always struggled to figure out how to move all of us, you know, and, and raise a family the way we wanted to in New York. And Detroit just kind of kept seeming to be the place that we should be. And so you have, you have six children. No, a family of six. Oh, a whole family four of six. Kids. Okay. Well, still. Yeah, it's uh, a big family nowadays, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a large family. And I I have to say that, you know, with all the things that you do besides anchoring the news, it's quite amazing that you're able to dip into these other uh, art art categories of music and and authorship I, it's, it's fascinating to me and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to have you aboard because this guy just doesn't report the news he's doing everything so
1: <laughs> well one thing though that you know i know and i I've, I've, uh, i it took me a while to figure this out too dan it does look like maybe i'm all over the place between journalism and writing children's books and and playing and writing music but they all have one thing in common which is storytelling and I love you know I love a good story journalism is is really built on good storytelling and so is uh, obviously so is being an author and uh, and I think uh, somebody you know that's what country I, I sort of come from a country vein when it comes to music and country music is so often storytelling well yeah
0: coincidentally I was going to ask you and I, you're moving ahead of me a little bit but that's fine I okay. wanted to ask you uh why country, but of course that was obvious because there's so much story in country. Before we get to that, I do need to ask you uh, about a few things relative to your anchoring the news. And now I'm just gonna dwell on this just momentarily. We don't have to dwell on it, Uh, but the questions would be, we know about yellow journalism, but from my point of view in terms of, or I guess anybody's who watches the news, that when it comes to local news, it's far less uh, yellow or caustic or divisional than would be in cable news, except for maybe one of your predecessors, Bill Bonds, back in the day. Of course, there have been textbooks written about those scenarios, as you probably know. But why is it less in local news than it would be, do you think, in national news, that there would be this dichotomy? This, There's a couple this, of different
1: things. Yeah, there's a couple of different things at work. For one thing, our marching orders are just kind of different. Um, We don't do a ton of news analysis. And analysis is uh, maybe another word for filling time. And on a cable news network, you're filling a 24-hour day. And it is obviously a lot cheaper to sit four people down in a studio and ask them all what they think about immigration policy than it is to fly a television crew you know, somewhere where immigration issues are happening and, 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 and talking to the uh, many and, and this very complex issue. It's, oh a, yeah. it's cheaper, and uh, you can fill a lot more time uh, just sitting down in the studio and talking. And that, that is an unfortunate thing because I really, um, you know, I think about this a lot, Dan. I, uh, I, I have longed for for CNN to be more of the American BBC. You know, we need, uh, uh, and to some degrees, the you know the CBC, and I'm so I love that we're this close to Canada because I'm a big fan of the CBC. They have a nightly newscast in prime time. How's that never happened? And you're also heard in Ontario, by the way, correct? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, we have tons. Of, in fact, it's funny. We're also the NBC, for w- reasons that have still never been fully adequately explained to me, we are the NBC affiliate on a lot of cable systems uh, all over Canada. Uh, so uh, I occasionally get emails from Alberta. Uh, when I first got here, there was a woman on... Uh, um, on vancouver island who used to write me all the time and i was like really? why is she watching detroit news i don't know but um uh, but but the other you know, we, you know we don't even though i have you know i have a sunday morning program that of course you know often uh involves um people's opinions about local and, and state political matters but dan the only thing you know i i do get uh, my share of hate mail and the one thing that i've always thought really was, i mean but it's it's so obju- well, okay. well there. There, there, there are people that, that can find something political in just about anything I say these days. We're so hyper-politicized and sensitive to those things. But what I will say is that about half of the emails, critical emails that I receive cannot believe that I am such a dyed-in-the-wool conservative. And the other half can't understand why Channel 4 puts a liberal like me on the air every every. Week. <laughs> So I can only assume that that's a good sign because <laughs> that I, is a good sign I, I you know I went to journalism school at the University of Kansas and really am old enough I guess now to still believe in the idea of a neutral journalist There's some people who've decided that that's just not possible we can't possibly be expected to keep our opinions to ourselves which I think is hilarious uh, right. but I've worked my whole life to be a, a what I guess I would call an aggressive Switzerland yeah. And uh, that's I I, felt, I still think journalism can do that and aspire to that.
0: I, I well, I applaud you for that. I wish that we could go back to some of those days, uh, not just with local, but but primarily with the cable and the national stuff. It's just it's so yeah. beleaguering, but that's a whole other deal. The other yeah. question I wanted to ask you relative to what you do is: I know I've checked uh, that eighty to ninety percent of the news that's broadcast. Uh, at least locally, maybe nationally, I suppose, is on a negative side in terms of, well, bad things that happen to people. And I often wonder, when you go home to your family, do you carry any of that with you or are you, do you insulate yourself in some ways?
1: I've over, you know, most journalists find ways to compartmentalize a little bit. Sometimes it's absolutely impossible and it depends on where your sensitive spots are. You know, when you first become a parent, because we talk about this in the newsroom a lot with with people who' become a parent for the first time all of a sudden it feels like every story is about something you know that's that's dangerous or horrible about a child somewhere right. yeah. and you become yeah. very hypersensitive to that um, you know Oklahoma City was one of those yeah. where it was it was kind of there was no real way for me to yeah. To to act like that was not it's fine. In fact, it's funny. The uh, the mental health agencies fanned out and sent people to all the TV stations in Oklahoma City saying, you know, you're a bunch of journalists and you believe, of course, that you can just sort of deal with this without it affecting you. And we're telling you that that's not true. You need to be ready for this to hit you in a different kind of way. And we all kind of were like, yeah, yeah, well, they were right. It, you know, it hit most of us like a ton of bricks at some point, somewhere along the line. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I go back and forth on this, though, Dan, because on the one hand, yes, I don't want to I don't want to take um, and, and, and beleaguer my family when I get home. You know, my, my wife, Corey, I don't want to I don't want to take my work home with me all the time. I don't want it to feel the oppressive, you know, feel this oppressive weight on my shoulders. And yet I also don't ever want to be cavalier about someone losing their life. Uh, to anything, to crime, to uh, a a severe storm, uh, to... A horrible accident that happens Because somebody somewhere was negligent You know, I don't want to get too I, I, I hope that we never get to the point Where those kind of things aren't important And so, you know, people say to me all the time You know, why isn't there more good news on television Well, I'm surrounded by good news Most of us are We've got our, you know, many of us are We're healthy We're happy, we're not going to bed hungry at night On and on and on I don't, occasionally, I like to remind You know, obviously, is uh, we want to balance it out And find stories that make us Smile, and the ones that kind of reinvigorate our uh, faith in humankind. Um, but for the most part, you know, uh, as as a journalist, I, I I think our job is to is to tell you what's going on in the world. It's the most underappreciated and overlooked thing that we do, is just being the town crier and saying here's what's happening in the world around you every day. I think that's you know. Everybody goes to school for their own or goes into journalism for their own reasons. Some people want to be, you know, Edward R. Murrow and exposing, you know, uh, the stories of corruption. Uh, Some people want to be that, you know, the ones that hold government's feet to the fire. I basically wanted to be Homer. And I don't mean Homer Simpson. <laughs> I mean Homer who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. <laughs> right. I wanted to bring the the narrative of here's, you know, the world around us and try to uh, be, uh, um, be uh, appreciated as an art form.
0: Right. And you brought up a name, Edward R. Murrow. And I know that you had received four Edward R. Murrow awards during your lifetime as this uh, anchor i have to admit to you that i used to watch the edward r murrow show that's how old i am but that's quite a thing i mean my goodness did that come consecutively year after year
1: or there's a couple uh there i think there was one year that i wanted uh two years in a row but um it's been sporadic you know they've been over the years they've been for different things um two were for right yeah, two were for writing, two were for best documentary, which really is writing when you get down yeah. to it, I guess. So in a way, they've all been about storytelling and writing. And so to me, that's been, a, um, yeah, those, I, I'm as proud of those as I can possibly be. It's, of yeah.
0: course, you know, moving on from journalism into uh, my favorite areas, which, well, I have to do more with the uh, art side of uh, Devin Skilliam, is the fact that you've been uh, an author and a musician, and I'm trying to figure out still, as I mentioned earlier, how you would be able to parlay all this time. I, I don't know how you do this. I, it's hard for me to walk and and uh, chew gum, as they say, at the same time. But you do this, and so, but with your authoring, it's been twenty children's books. Am I
1: getting that right? Uh, it'll be the twenty first in July will be coming out. Yeah, and why children's books? Um, When I was in high school, I had a very brilliant English teacher who assigned us a class assignment was to write a children's story. It was my favorite um, school assignment that I ever had, and I just absolutely loved writing the story that I wrote. I still have it at home, and um, I just, I I was just really, it really lit me up. I just thought it was great, great fun. And then when I got to college, I studied children's literature, studied uh, fiction writing, and I uh, had a very encouraging professor there named Alan Lichter, who um, t- thought, thought that one of my stories just held an awful lot of promise. He said, he took my story, he passed out to the whole class and he said, uh, Devin, you could get this published tomorrow. Now, Alan wow. was wrong. Alan was wrong. I could not get it published apart because I tried. Well, um, how did you try? Did you did you send things I out to get it? Yeah, but and th- that's but one of the one of the things you know. Is, and then w- the the book that I first the manuscript that I first wrote, and I wrote it the year that our first child was born, when Griffin was born. Um, I I felt so good about it and thought, yeah, I'm this is the one. I'm gonna and so I started sending it out all over the place. I could paper the walls of, of the newsroom here um with uh the rejection letters <laughs> that i received oh, yeah. a lot of it was because i got those too <laughs> yeah of course right i mean you're, you're, you're nobody until you've been told right. that you're nobody yeah. um and I, I didn't really fully understand how to go about getting published. And that's one of the things that I've learned is there's two parts of this business. There's the writing and then there's the figuring out where it should go. And I, I was a little slow on that. It took me ten years to end to get the first one published. <laughs> um, but was, you know, was one it, the... but but was that self publishing then? No, or, or no, did... no, no. It was um, I, I, I finally I finally saw a book that um, made me feel like, I I saw a a book that another company had published, It happened to be Sleeping Bear Press. And I read the, uh, I, I thought this feels like my story, which is what I always tell now aspiring authors. Go spend a lot of time in a bookstore, spend a lot of time in libraries, and find stories that are similar to what you've written, oh, and then go after those yes. publishers because they are already interested in what you're doing. I never thought about it that way. I that was thing. sending my, you know, I was, I was sending it out willy-nilly. Oh, let's try Simon and Schuster. Let's try Double Day without right. really understanding the market. And uh, uh, but you know I, I had always only I just wanted to get one book published, Dan. I just wanted to get Yeah, one. but that's that's a,
0: that's such a great suggestion. I don't know. I've talked to a lot of people that are budding authors that I don't ever hear them saying what yeah. you just said.
1: Yeah, I I I nobody gave me that advice. I didn't see it anywhere. And it I I yes, if I I don't know that it would have cut all 10 years off of my search, but it certainly would have cut a few off. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, uh, for instance, my first book called Fibble Stacks is a rhyming story. I was sending it to publishers who've never published a rhyming story. Did I think they were just going to bend to my brilliance? I don't know what i was, thinking, <laughs> but I was wasting my time because there are, you know, and, and I've had to learn that there are publishing houses that don't want any stories about animals. There are some that don't want any, you know, on and on and on. There are some that are very into um, uh, some have very narrow uh, demands about how long the manuscript can be. On and on and on. You really need to kind of get a grasp of the marketplace.
0: Tell that. me about this story that you wrote called A for America,
1: which found itself under the White House Christmas tree. Yeah. So the, the after I got Fibblestacks published, and I really hadn't thought about it, anything beyond getting one published it was just some a big box that I wanted to put a check mark in and I did and uh, after it came out uh, the editor of the book Heather Hughes called me and said well what's your what is your next book going to be and I said I I don't know I haven't You know i had a few other manuscripts laying around but i hadn't really thought about it very seriously Uh, i was still you know don't don't mess up my vibe here i'm still in the afterglow of just getting this one done and she said well i'd like you to think about it she didn't say write it she just said i'd like you to think about a book called a is for america well as i've already mentioned i grew up in a military family my dad put on the uniform of the united states every day my dad did two tours of duty in vietnam i lived all over the world and all over the country when we would live on army bases every morning, uh, reveille would sound across the base and wow. uh, they would raise the flag. And every night taps would, you know, a retreat would bring the flag down and then taps later on in the night. Um, so it was impossible to grow up the way I did without thinking a lot about my country. And so I couldn't, when she said, think about a book called is for America, I couldn't think about anything else. I just, you know, sat down and just started writing, writing, writing. And I honestly, she called me on a Monday and by late Wednesday afternoon, so three days later, I called Heather and I said, well, I think I've got it. And she said, you think you she kind of laughed. She's like, you think you wrote a book in three days? And I thought, oh, I may have overplayed my hand here. She said, well, send it to me and we'll, um, we'll we'll use it as an outline and we'll figure out, you know, from there. I sent it to her and Thursday morning. So just a couple of hours later, she called me and she said, it's done. We're not going to touch a thing. And so that's the, that's my story. Dan is writing a book can take ten years or three days. Okay. I recommend the three day method if you can. <laughs> <laughs> so the dumb luck that we had, and this is you you've experienced this I'm sure many times. You just sometimes you just kind of luck your way into weird timing. Oh yeah. So we published A is for America, and three months later, 9/11 happened. Oh, wow. All of a sudden, every school, every, you know, everybody was devouring, um, you know, things about the u.s things that had a patriotic theme and you know this was an alphabet book that kind of you know celebrated all time the time things before. oh sorry about that overhead sound that's okay uh, this was a um this was a, a, a an alphabet book that sort of celebrated all the different things that it means to, when we say america or to be american right. and um all of a sudden the thing just went gangbusters and it's it's the only national bestseller that i've written that's for sure it sold uh, over uh, a quarter of a million copies. Oh, my. Wow. And, and one morning, uh, while everybody's getting ready for school, we had the Today Show on in the background. And my, one of my daughters yells, oh, my gosh, dad's book is under the White House Christmas. They were doing a tour of the White House. And nobody had told me it was going to be under there. But then the next spring, I got invited to uh, come read at the, at the White House, at the Easter Egg Roll, the White House Easter Egg Roll. Right. And they told me on the phone, they said, don't worry, um, you don't have to worry about bringing your book. We'll have a book here for you to read. And I get to the White House that day, and I assume it's going to be A is for America. And it was not. It was my first book, Fibblestacks. Oh, my gosh. And the woman who hands it to me says, this is Mrs. Bush's private copy. Please, oh my gosh. back to her when you're done reading it. And I was just um, kind of overwhelmed that, uh, you know, Fibble Stacks is a book about where words come from. And uh, so it's not surprising to me that a former librarian like Laura Bush might, might enjoy it. But I had no idea that it had ever crossed her desk. What so, an honor. I mean, that would be like crazy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then and and then here we are now you know 20 20 whatever 20 books later and the 21st one which is called the parliament of owls which will be out uh in uh in july i have to say i've been
0: looking over some of the titles i mean uh, memoirs of a tortoise <laughs> right i mean i have i have to pick that up uh, i can do that with my grandkids you know because i've got Five grandkids, but I need to start reading some of these things to them. So it's funny,
1: I've done five memoirs books, and most of them all were sort of uh, humorous books. Memoirs of a Goldfish was the first one, then Memoirs of a Hamster, Memoirs of a Parrot, Memoirs of an Elf, which is a Christmas book. They're all, they all aim to be kind of funny. Right. Uh, memoirs of a tortoise I wasn't sure should be a memoirs book. I knew I wanted to write a book about the theme of it. you know we always we we know that um people lose their pets sometimes pets die and oh, yeah. people lose their pets. Yeah. Well, my book is about a pet that loses its person, which oh, happens wow. when you're a tortoise because tortoises live you know to be yeah. and uh my pet. My tortoise in, in my book is named Oliver, and he and his, his well, he calls him his pet, but his owner is 80 years old. They're both 80 years old, and uh, Ike passes away, and Oliver says, I thought we were going to grow old together, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, because, of course, you know, uh, Ike had grown old, but Oliver was just 80, which for a tortoise is you're March, a are so. you're,
0: you're hitting a fiber with me because we lost our dog, Oliver.
1: And oh, so, you know,
0: yeah, I know. But you know, uh, but I do like the. Well, I don't know what I like.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is the it is the worst thing, isn't it? Going through that. That's terrible, and, I, and that's part of why I liked the idea of this book. I never. I thought the switch of it um, was a really interesting thing, and so Oliver can't understand why he had to lose Ike, uh, and so You're he goes to his 137 year old mother who lives. 10 gardens away (laughs) and it takes it takes oliver a long time of course to crawl his way across 10 gardens and he gets to his mother and 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 she he says you know why do we have to lose people and she says well you know people don't live as long as we do and we only get to have them in our lives for a little while and we have to appreciate every single day with we ha- that we have with them. Oh my God! Gone, we uh, have all these wonderful memories. Where does this
0: lives. Where does this
1: come from, though? How do you <laughs> think that way? I I'm I'm stymied.
0: I have to tell you honestly, why, why um, is reversed?
1: It started because a couple of years ago, Dan, I read a a newspaper article about a couple, I think they were in Hawaii, and they were getting older and they had a pet tortoise and they were trying to figure out how to take care of their tortoise and their estate planning. Now, this isn't like somebody (coughs) leaving uh, their poodle a million dollars. This this tortoise was going to need a long, uh, you know, a lifetime of care from somebody. And it's it's a serious, you know, kind of quandary to find somebody who can take on, that kind of responsibility and that, uh, um, you know, I don't want to call it a burden, but you know, it was going to be, and they were they were struggling to find who was, and I was just so fascinated by that conundrum. And uh, like some of the books that I've written, I could not just write it. It took me a long time of thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. (laughs) And finally I decided to tackle it in a memoir fashion day you know it's, it, most of the memoirs I've written are day by, day by day by day or night by night by night for a tortoise it's month by month because of course they move <laughs> Slow. a little more slowly and so you know it's 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 a it's a year in the life of of Oliver wow. and um, that's it phenomenal finally came through um, but it's 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 it is uh, a lot of people have uh, in fact I was just at the Texas Library Association meeting and I did not expect uh, people to come to me in tears about the book because it's been nominated for the blue bonnet award which is a big book award in texas but a lot of librarians and teachers just like you there was there was a loss somewhere and of course loss over these last two years because of covid has been so profound and felt by so many people. Even if you didn't lose somebody, maybe you knew, you knew someone who did, or you at least thought about the possibility of losing someone to this horrible thing that took the lives of a million Americans alone. Um, So another thing with the timing that just kind of how it worked out.
0: Yeah. So we could talk a lot more about that, but now I have to go on to my favorite subject, which is is music. Uh, And, uh, I've known you to be yes, a guitar player. I'm, I'm thinking acoustic, but I don't know if you do electric as well. But no. Not very much. Oh. Okay. But the storytelling thing I get because, you know, with the books and with the stories on the air, I get all that. But uh, how do you gravitate to music? Uh, when did you gravitate to music amidst all these other things that you've been doing? When did that start?
1: You know, I don't, I don't, I, 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 can't pinpoint that one. I, I would have to say that I, uh, music was my first love. I, I, but I don't, I can't, I, I just can't remember a time when music wasn't important to me. And I, you know, my mom back in the day was into. Um, community theater and you know there'd be a lot of musical theater around and and songs of you know Broadway and the standards playing in my house my dad's from western Kentucky and I suppose that's where uh, some of you know a lot of the country influence came from Mm -hmm. but I was just um played piano and cello as a kid and uh, in fact my piano player my piano teacher quit me because I she realized I was just playing by ear and not really learning how to read music <laughs> um, Are you'
0: reading the news, reading the news? What, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, but you know I, and then I was a uh, uh, before I ever got to journalism I was a theater student at Kansas and was into musical theater and um, so uh, the, what really turned things uh, for me as far as um, as far as playing because I was screwing around a lot on the piano as, as when I was young but I got to college and there was a guy in the dorm who played banjo and a banjo player generally needs a guitar player to play along with him to kind of Absolutely. get a rhythm section.
0: Yeah.
1: Dan taught me to play the guitar to play along with him. Uh, and the first couple of songs that I learned how to play on the guitar were by Gordon Lightfoot, uh, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and Circle mm-hmm. of Steel, and a bunch of his great songs. And I just kept, you know, more and more getting into acoustic guitar and if you, write, uh, if you could read my mind no yeah was that? Yep, yeah you yep. yeah. read my mind a million great songs and yeah. in fact i the the ability of his the, his crisscross of what i like about writing and music you know he really is a classic troubadour mm-hmm. um you know just kind of writing about damsels in distress and brave sea captains and uh that sort of thing so that was a powerful influence on me but so was you know, Merle Haggard and uh, all those oh, great sure. uh, country acts that I that I loved when I was growing up. And I, I had a weird um, kind of, I, I, I love the Statler brothers just as much as I love the Temptations. So I kind of had a weird sort of country and R&B thing. I think that's great, though,
0: to be able to cross-pollinate those things. Yeah, oh, like I think it. so, too.
1: And they're all, and they're both, they're both about harmony, right? I mean, Absolutely. all those great, the, the great harmony. I, that's one of my passions and loves is is harmony, and so that that speaks to country music, and it speaks to all those great R and B groups that, that that you and I both.
0: Yeah. And speaking of that, then you have you're part of a group called Sons. Is Sons of Arizona? Is that Arizona
1: it? Sun. Arizona, Arizona
0: Sun, I'm sorry. Yeah. And so,
1: and how many members are there in that group? Uh, we're a, we're a we're a group of six, and yeah, there's a lot of four part harmony songs that we. Do. I was just
0: going to say, you have a lot of harmony going on in
1: there, yeah, which yeah. is very cool. Eagles, you know, Eagles were uh, a huge influence on me with all their great tight harmonies. But so were the Osborne Brothers and lots of uh, great you know, bluegrass groups and even the gospel groups like the Blackwoods and the Imperials because I would watch those guys on, uh, on Hee Haw back in the okay. old days. And so harmony really influenced a, a lot of what I love about music. Yeah. And how often do you go out with... Uh uh, the group to to um you to know year to year with things have you ask any any live performer uh things have really you know really dried up there for two years of course on us but, but okay know, so pri- prior to COVID though. yeah prior to COVID and now that we're after you know we probably play I don't know 10 to 12 10 to 12 gigs a year you know it's not we've all got uh well with the exception of one guy who is a full-time musician in the band uh or actually two I take it back two um but the rest of us you know have other jobs that we have to deal with and so it's just a great uh, but they're 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 a great band they're like an old country jukebox i can turn there around and say 14 uh, karat <laughs> mind and off we go they just know yeah you have
0: uh how many albums
1: out now that you've done, I've done uh I've, I've done technically four one of them was a children's album based on a is for america just a ton of songs that i you know all the leftover ideas that i was telling you about the yeah about America, so I, I did that. But the most recent one is a, an album that I did in Nashville called "Letter from London," and it was produced by a Detroit, a uh, Detroit native uh, named Doug Kahan who used to be in a group called Flash Kahan. I know uh, Doug. I've,
0: I've known Doug a long time. Well, he's a great oh, he's player like, and, a, and a good, a great producer.
1: Yeah, uh, he's the bomb, and I, uh, he's done two of my albums, and I just love him like a brother. And uh, um, hopefully, well, my deal with my wife Corey is that you know once I pay off one, I can go do another. So yeah, still, right. got, still got a ways yeah. to go. I'm getting letter from London paid off, but then I can start and, with you,
0: and your wife. Speaking of Corey, she's also in the arts. She doesn't, isn't she? Yeah. is she,
1: Corey's, a, Corey's a ceramic sculptor. That's and, right. That's yeah. 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 So our mean, but, yeah. our house is full of uh, books, music, and uh, ceramics. Listen,
0: I don't know how you're
1: doing. I really don't. I, I, and I'm thinking, well, let, me well, ask you, let, let me ask you, what are your hobbies when you're not playing? Music? I don't have any hobbies. Well, see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say that, you know, usually people, you know, some people want to go fishing, some people play golf. Well, well yeah. when I'm done at the, at the station, I go home. Everybody is, you know, if I, all of our kids are out of the house now, but back in the day, I would go home, everybody was in bed. Yeah. So what would I do? I'd pick up the guitar. Or I'd sit down to write because those were my hobbies.
0: Well, uh, truth be known, I uh, I used to love to fish, go fishing. Mm-hmm. I lived down a lake, and we've moved from there to uh, uh, we're on a river now. But you know, my my mindset has changed a little bit about fishing. I, you know, as you get older, you don't want to hurt things so
1: much. So, <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, and it's 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 a strange thing to say, maybe especially for people who like to fish. But that's where my head is lately, and. Uh, frankly, uh, I I love music. I enjoy what I do. I love talking to people like you who who have this vast array of art within their scope of what they do. And it's so interesting to me. And I know that people will be interested to hear what you have to say. It's just remarkable stuff. Well,
1: I love talking about it. I love thinking about creativity and where it comes from. And that's why, you know, I've just always admired, uh, you know, what you've done over your lifetime. I mean, it's such a, it's an unbelievable body of work and people like me, you know i don't want to be uh I, i'm not dismissive at all of my own journalism career i've had a blast but most people who have a desire to play music would trade everything if they could find a way to actually get oh, music right um, know- jeff daniels is a good friend of mine and we joke about it all the time if only we could just you know jeff jeff and his you know his emmy awards and his you know tony nominations on broadway and everything right just play music full-time that's yeah. what <laughs>
0: I, I have to tell you, between uh, several doctors that I see—cardiologists, this guy, that guy, whatever it is—they all play instruments. They they, they want to do that instead of seeing their patients. So, I don't know what to say, but you know, hey, you know what? This was a, such a pleasure for me to to be able to talk about this stuff with you, and uh, you have such a remarkable career. I just, yeah, when you talk about the book stuff and the music, I. It would be very, very tantalizing to think if I, if a, if I were I, and I'm not you, but uh, that boy, I can do, I can do these books, and people are reading and Bush and this and that and whatever, and I'm thinking, I don't know, I would, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't want to go any further than that. I, but it, it would seem such a, such a temptation to be okay. able to just immerse yourself fully into those other areas uh you know then and, and you've done so well at what you do but it's just there's so much candy in front of
1: you it's just crazy i i i hear exactly what you're saying and i can't say i haven't given that thought over the years but the other thing that you know one of the things that brings me joy about both music and books is that i don't have to do them um you know if if they became my i, I had a i got a friend who was a uh a sportscaster for a while and um, he got out of the sports business and he, and I remember he, he called me uh, one night from uh, a Kansas city Royals game. He was in Kansas city um, and he called me and he said, you know what? This was like the week after he left the television business. He said, I'm sitting here with a hot dog and a beer. I'm watching a baseball game. I don't have to worry about what time I'm meeting a photographer after it's over. I don't have to worry about the game ending before the news time. I just get to enjoy this game. And there's something to that, right? There's absolutely something something. becomes your job. Sometimes you can lose the joy Mm -hmm. attached to it. And I wouldn't want that to happen with music or books, but. I understand. Evan
0: Skillion, such a pleasure such an honor to be able to talk to you and uh, it's so cool and I, I I wish you continued success in everything that you're doing I so appreciate it
1: Dan and we need to get together and jam one of these days I hope we do
0: yeah, you got looking it. forward to it thank you my friend thank you